live from the fringe. This is episode 14 of the Figure Podcast. Each week, we figure out people, numbers, and images of the past, present, and future. So yes, we are at the fringe, um, as you may have guessed, and we have been here since Monday. And Shah, what else has this week meant to you, other than the fact that we are in a different location? We sort of, I feel as though we're sort of at, quite out of sorts. We've sort of... You're sort of half in your usual work routine. I'm sort of on my own exploring the fringe. <laughs> it's been great fun. It's been fun. It's been really fun, actually. Oh, it's been great. Yeah. I've loved it. It's been brilliant. Funnily enough, didn't realise the fringe worked like a festival, even though it's called the Fringe Festival. I didn't quite... <laughs> Georgia has only just I just, discovered yes. that the name is true. <laughs> I No, but I didn't realise you could literally just, you know get a pint and just like meander through loads of different shows you can get a pint most places and you could no but you could just bring <laughs> drinks into places you know True. it's not it's not it's kind of like at a festival you just kind of go from music to music to music you just mm. do the same with comedy um and i've been really enjoying it actually i'd highly recommend Great. it speaking of alcohol i'd say that that has been a major theme ironically considering last week's episode <laughs> where georgia spoke about mm. how she hadn't had very much to drink for the last two weeks which mm. i really admire however in three days, <clears throat> we have consumed those two weeks' worth of alcohol. No. Yeah. Okay, I guess... So, so basically, context. My birthday was on Friday. Then on Saturday, we were com- a complete at wreck. My, at and my we, brother's party. We went, yeah, we went to Charlotte's house, and her brother was having a house party for his birthday. For about 45 people. Right. And then um, he... Sorry, George. Got a bit t- too carried away and had to be put to bed. Therefore, we ran the party. And actually, it was really <laughs> great that we were slightly drunk because it meant that we had that sort of like, yeah, we can do this. We also owned the music and we served out the chili con carne yep. at midnight, which we did very, very well. We were so efficient. We were like dinner ladies. Yeah, we were like dinner ladies. <laughs> then Sunday night, we went to uh, the Galt's house. Can I just say massive, massive shout out to Fiona, Lucy, Hamish, Felicity, Felicity Russell... Russell. Sholto, lack everyone. <laughs> bow wow. Bow wow. Um, just thank you so much for having us. It was lovely and you all are just so amazing and supportive of the podcast. It was quite overwhelming Sunday night because I had so many of my favourite, favourite people all in one room. I didn't really know what to do with, my, with myself, mm. but we had an unbelievably lovely evening. Yeah, with delicious food. Amazing food. Mm. <clears throat> and lovely alcohol as well. Yes. So that added to the tally. And so we, we're going to play a little game. So... So Georgia is going to guess how many units we had oh in three nights. Okay. And then I'm going to reveal the answer, which may or may not be accurate, but... Uh, a guesstimate. It's a guesstimate. You've, used an, you've actually tried to calculate units. Although I've, I may have given it away slightly. I've, I've basically just gone on what I felt like we had consumed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guessed 22 units over the three nights each. Incorrect. <laughs> Um, okay. It was 30. Oh my god. <laughs> I believe. Oh. Not good. But anyway, in the, you know, interest of <laughs> being honest and open. Yeah. And facing. Right, we don't want to be like, oh my god, I didn't drink any alcohol. And like, look how perfect we are in our <laughs> not drinking. It's like, no, this can happen. You have a birthday, you have a, a, another, another party, party, another and... party. Um, and so that, that did happen. And actually, I enjoyed all three nights so, so much. much. My we birthday also, was though, amazing. I think we should deduct this from the units because it tells you how much you would get in calories. 
I think it was something like nine burgers worth. Right. Um, not that we actually eat burgers because we're veggie, but still. Um, the equivalent <clears throat> in chips. It also said how much exercise you need to do. But I think that we pretty much covered that on Friday night, considering we did 10,000 steps in two hours of dancing. Yeah, we, we were w- seriously dancing so intensely. Like, I was so sweaty. Very, very sweaty. Very, very sweaty. And it was 10,000 steps worth. Grease. High School Musical, which then became a theme for the following night and the great. following night after that and the whole amazing. of this week. I've forgotten how good Breaking Free is. <clears throat> yeah, Breaking Free is a great song for a night out. Um, <laughs> I also want to say um, that it's so lovely to see your mum. Again, I haven't seen your mum in ages. Um, and she also says some really lovely things about the podcast. So thank you so much, Jane. Um, I really do not see her enough. And um, I also have really enjoyed... Uh, some of the shows that I've seen at the Fringe so far, including Nobody Panic, um, which is one of my really favourite podcasts. Yes, we uh, love that podcast. Yeah, and we uh, uh, and they had Nish Kumar um, as one of their guests, who is another well-known comedian. And we also have seen two shows um, by Funny Women. Yeah, which, which is, is really brilliant. Yeah, initiative to get women into comedy and giving them a sort of platform. And we've seen ten different acts, haven't we, in two nights? Yeah. Because there's, there's a show of five different... Eight, I think. Well, I think that the host is, is one. Oh, of course. And then, and then we have the other, the other four performers. So. And Catherine Bohart was absolutely brilliant. Yes, she was. She's an Irish comedian. And if you ever got an opportunity to see her, I would definitely say take it. I'd also yeah. say Sindhu was another of my favourites. Yeah. Also, another thing that we did, um, which I'm going to leave you with, is uh, we watched Sex and the City, the movie, last night, which was fab. Um, As always. Right. But... Get this, it's officially 10 years old this year. <laughs> I know. The first figure that we're going to be talking about today is Michael McIntyre, who is my favourite comedian, and we thought it would be a very good week to talk about him because we are at the Fringe, mm. and it was a really huge part of his life. So my first question is, when did you first find out about Michael McIntyre? I first found out about Michael McIntyre of uh, Christmas 2009 at the Lorimers. Which, through me? Yeah, through you. Uh, my mum is forever grateful for that. We actually discovered Miranda Hart the same holiday. So, yes, so you, we watched live from Wembley, or Hello Wembley. We watched Hello Wembley. And one of my memories for that is us watching the part about Ryanair flights and how it's a pound to go to the loo and 99p to go to Rome. And how they're talking about having standing up flights. Yeah, standing and up flights. I've got and this really vivid memory of us on the kitchen floor, literally on our conversing. backs. Like, yeah. I couldn't even breathe. We and, were um, laughing and so much. This was funny because it was mid-challenge. So we were chopping <laughs> vegetables. Charlotte literally skidded across the floor and nearly like broke a bone and just woke and, and got up and was just like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because we wanted to beat the boys. So we're going to have to explain the challenge. Oh yeah. So So my mum is a genius. Yeah, your your mum is a genius. She essentially made us do housework and all of the prep that needed to be done for Christmas Day Mm. by making it competitive. Right. Boys v girls. It was boys v girls. Us versus our brothers. Yep. Which is obviously fiercely competitive. So competitive. And one of the challenges was that she kind of divided the kitchen... And she set up the ingredients and then we had to prep, chop, Mm. make everything that we possibly could Mm. in a certain time. But it had to be a good quality as well. Yeah. And that was on the day. And I mean, Christmas dinner has never been done so quickly. Never. But but meanwhile, doing all the chopping, that's when we had the DVD on. And we, Mm. all four of us, just collectively stopped 
and died. Like, we just could not <laughs> continue um, because of the Ryanair joke. So, yes. Okay, so, so just to give context, uh, Michael McIntyre found out through research was actually, uh, I guess you could say, quote-unquote, discovered at the Fringe in 2003 was his first kind of significant year as he won the Perrier Award for Best Newcomer. And then he was 28. So that's actually quite a long time of doing stand-up comedy undiscovered. Mm. Um, years and years and years worth. And yeah. he actually put himself into 30 grand worth of debt. Yeah. Because it costs a huge amount to be yeah. at the Fringe. And I think this is what I haven't fully appreciated. I, I knew it from his book, his mm. autobiography, Life and Laughing, which if you haven't mm. listened to, being the key one there, yeah. you listen to his audio book because he reads it and it's yeah. the We've best We've linked it below. Thing. It's amazing. I it's listened so to it great. probably two or three times. Um, but I think I, but it's, it's easy for him, like, it's not easy for him, but, like, it's easy to listen to that and go, you know, he's one of the most successful comedians in the world now. And you kind of just forget about it. You forget that, you know, the struggle and his indebt. Mm. We're seeing comedians every day here it's who so are in hard. that position. And yeah. I don't know how they do it. Neither do I. And I don't know how they stand out because there mm. are thousands and thousands and yeah. thousands. And it's just poster upon poster upon poster, people flyering constantly. Mm. And it's really, really great for visitors. But, I mean, if you're performing, it's, it's also relentless because it's three full weeks of mm. just night after night after night yeah and we're here sort of at the last the final weeks so we can't even imagine what they how tired everyone must be yeah um but my question to you is my first question is what's your favorite michael mcintyre joke i knew you were going to ask me that and i've also written down the same question to ask you and i don't have one answer okay but one of my favorite things that he's done which actually is was part of his big show mm. which is more recent and wasn't necessarily one of his um tours which i've seen two of uh was the james corden send to all clip when he james corden takes michael mcintyre's phone michael mcintyre takes james corden's phone and they send a text to every single contact in each of each other's phones yeah. and then they check up on it throughout the show and i think it's the reciprocal element of it because Michael McIntyre had been inflicting this on celebrities throughout the show and then James Corden was the first one to actually say nope we're gonna do this to you yeah and it's also the responses because they obviously have quite famous people like Harry Styles and uh and some not so famous people like the uh, architect and the builder who <laughs> take Michael McIntyre up on his uh request to go lap dancing with great enthusiasm <laughs> So good. His big show, by the way, is, is actually, yeah, his most recent, I guess, endeavour, other than his world tour, which is a, a mm. TV series that comes out every year between September to December. And he has, you know, he does some of his own stand-up, he has guests, he does a celebrity send-to-all, he has, like, the secret star of the show. Love the secret but, you know, star of the show. But, you know, this, is, this is somebody who is wouldn't have wouldn't, a platform. Wouldn't necessarily have a platform, wouldn't necessarily even think of going on the X Factor or anything like that and they just their family end up preparing them and submitting mm. them and then they become yeah. stars no, of the show it's, it's and i love it it's so good um so after 2003 he uh went on i think we just saw the clip before we recorded actually in 2006 um, it was actually hard to stop watching to record this really hard well, we've put some of our favorite links down below so you can definitely check those out um and 2006, he did his first performance of the Royal Variety Show, uh, which is incredible. And then and he this went was on... And this was kind of his big discovery. Yeah. So 2003 Perry Awards was important, but with that Royal it Variety... It was TV, wasn't it? So it was sort of... It was. Mass... And, and his agent was um, Addison Cresswell, mm -hmm. who sadly passed away a few years ago. 
and he was the head of Off The Curb Agency who took Michael McIntyre on and I think that really is what made the hu the biggest difference in his career and I think Alison Creswell took a real chance on Michael McIntyre to get him onto the Royal Variety performance which obviously is performing in front of the Royal Family. I don't know about you but can you say Michael? I can't say Michael, it's Michael McIntyre. <laughs> I know, I was thinking that. I was literally like, I can't say Michael, like who's Michael? It's definitely Michael It's too Michael. familiar. In all my notes, I, they're just MM because like, I can't <laughs> be like Michael. <laughs> But yeah, so he took a chance on him. Nobody knew who he was no. at all. The whole bill would have been filled with names mm. that everyone will have known, mm. and nobody knew who he was. Yeah. And we just watched it back, and it's actually just mm. another brilliant. fun fact about the Royal Variety Show is actually he's the youngest presenter ever of the Royal Variety Show. So he presented um, in 2010, and um, he would have been uh, 35 at the time. And Good apparently, that's the yeah, that's the youngest. Yeah, that's ever presented, um, and that include that show, which I've linked in our show notes, includes my one of my favourite jokes of him. So, what is your favourite joke? Well, okay, there are so many of them, but I remember watching this him host the Royal Variety, and he's doing an impression of the X Factor judges, and this was back in the day when X Factor was the biggest thing in everyone's lives because mm -hmm. this was you know age 14 15 you can't drink you can't really go out and socialize you're in on a saturday i'm still in on a saturday Obs no now we are but the, between 18 <laughs> and 23 i remember the time when you were like i don't watch strictly it's not good anymore i don't watch x factor and i was still secretly like i watch it <laughs> um i think we've come full circle i think we now mm. do stay in on a saturday but um, also bake off is about to start very exciting and the apprentice you know all of those things so him doing the impression of the X Factor judges is absolutely brilliant. And also the jokes about Christmas and yep, love what that. we do about the Christmas season. So that's really good. In his autobiography, I think what really comes across is the persistence and the failure in his early career. It's quite inspiring, actually. Everyone, you know, Nish Kumar was talking about this in the episode of Nobody Panic. He was like, for five years, I was a comedian in the evening, but I had to have a full-time job. So mm -hmm. I was working nine till five, nine till six, and then stand up in the evening. And, you know, I did that for years and years and years. Um, that episode actually ties in perfectly to this, which is how to deal with rejection. Um, and they had a really good conversation about that. I really Going want to from to that. exams to universities to boys, relationship type rejection. But I just want to say about Michael McIntyre is that he has brought so much laughter, so much happiness into our household. I absolutely love him. Um, and he's still on his world tour, so you can still get tickets in the UK to see him yes, in the next nine months. We're considering it. Yeah, and I say that the other thing to add about his book is that the another main theme is his wife, Kitty. And in his shows. Oh, I think my, one of my questions, if I was ever to interview him, which would be, you know, the, the dream, I'd be like, what does your wife think of all of this stuff? Because he is so brilliant in his observation of her, and then I guess women, a lot of women. Although we don't and know how much is actually true and how and much is kids. exaggerated. Yeah. But I think the reason it is so funny is because it is true to yeah, a certain extent. Definitely. That's why it's so relatable for so many yeah. people. But um, I think she's been his biggest supporter. He yeah. fell in love with her, apparently, when he was 22. Mm. It took several years after that in order for him to actually woo her. Yeah. And, and he just does say so, woo, doesn't there's he? so yeah. many brilliant yeah. stories. One of my favourites, which is how I actually discovered Michael McIntyre, was through the Top Gear interview with Jeremy Clarkson. And he talks about they had an Austin Metro princess. 
And there were all sorts of stories with this car. He also had a car which could only turn left, I think. Oh, my God. So he had to work out routes around London, <laughs> which would get him to the place when he only had to turn left. And this Austin Metro princess would just shake uncontrollably when he hit any kind of speed and then he'd try and overtake Porsches on the motorway. We've linked this below as well. It's absolutely mm. brilliant if you haven't seen it. But didn't he get it to impress women? Oh yeah, no, no, that was a different car. That was a Triumph Spitfire. Gosh, I know nothing about cars. But yes, <laughs> no, he did. Um, it seems like they actually have an amazing relationship. Absolutely. And his parents are also very interesting. So mm. his mum was only 19 when she had him. And she was quite a glamorous mum. She was very good friends with Kenny Everett, the comedian, who his dad, Ray Cameron, did a show with. And really sadly, I only found out this today, Mm. his dad actually committed suicide. Mm. And all of his children, he had four children with two different wives, had Mm. been told that he'd had a heart attack. It was in the autobiography, isn't it, that he died of of a heart attack. And by coincidence, he had written a letter to Michael um, and said that, you know, keep going keep going on you know with your dream and he thought it's really sad but he thought that was a coincidence that that his her dad his dad had been able to write to him but um yeah yeah that's awful it is but um can we end on a slightly happier note with one final question yeah what do you think is his best accent oh my god oh his australian accent is so good so is his sort of Eastern European accent. Oh, those are ones I wouldn't have chosen. That's quite interesting. Um, I quite like Scottish his... Scottish con- is quite funny. Yeah, Scottish is my favourite. Really? He is so good yeah. at Scottish accents. All accent. of his Edinburgh shows, when he's sort of taking the piss of Scottish people and like the kilt and the Scotch egg and all that, is absolutely hilarious. I also want to share one final story from his autobiography, which mm. was when he was... Because he went to uni in Edinburgh. Mm. He didn't go to any lectures. I think he did biochemistry. Oh my God. And he kept on being pulled into, you know, the, the, by the head of the course and be like, is this what you really want to do? And he'd go, yes, yes, this is. <laughs> Finally, he went, no, no, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> and so, and he was actually writing scripts. So that's how he started, because he loved Woody Allen. And then he went into comedy after that. But he was sent in his very posh cashmere coat to get weed for his Oh, I love this story. Oh, my God, it's so and good. And he turns up in some random part of Edinburgh. And the drug dealer is called Scott, and he's from Scotland. And he <laughs> has a tattoo of Scotland on his face. And he comes in. They have a lovely chat. He's got the money. It's all good. And the the thing that Michael McIntyre finds very confusing is that they have a toaster with no sides and they just keep on putting the toaster down and then it will ping up and then they put it down and it transpires that he actually had no heating and this is what (laughs) they were using for the heating. (laughs) I think it's ingenious. I think it's brilliant. I had forgotten that. So great. Anyway, I have so many Michael McIntyre stories. got to round off. And when my brother and I were travelling, we were in a very, very, very bumpy car and we were very tired and very dusty and Michael McIntyre's autobiography kept us going throughout the entire thing and we loved it. So Mm. thank you for bringing us so much laughter over so many years. And also multi-generational. I mean, literally our parents and young children are all howling to Michael McIntyre. The second figure that we're going to be talking about today is that As of 2017, 
39% of women in the UK were using long-acting reversible contraceptives. So, Georgia, what are <laughs> long-acting reversible contraceptives? So, I looked this up, and it basically means that they're idiot-proof. <laughs> And by that, I mean, I'm no judgment because I used to have the pill, so I can say this. Um, It basically means sort of the quote unquote permanent forms of contraceptives. So we're talking coil. Or long acting reversibles. Or long acting reversibles. (laughs) So we're talking coil, implant, injection, anything that you can't remove or forget to take. Yes. So a condom, for example, is not long acting. Not long acting. The pill. They may be reversible. (laughs) Never tried that. Um, the pill, for example, if you forget to take the pill, that's on the user to forget to take the pill. It's not going to be effective then. So the reason we wanted to talk about this is that we both actually have the copper coil. So we're part of the stat. We're part of the stat. We got them in 2017. And it actually, what the copper coil is basically falls under the remit of the IUD, which is the interuterine device, which means that it's just basically a t-shaped rod, yeah, a rod of copper that releases copper and is basically acting as a spermicide. The other type of coil you can get is one that uh, emits progesterone locally into the uterus. It's called an IUS, which is an interuterine system. And the reason it's system is because it's sort of acting as a system of hormones. And it makes your lining uh, very mucousy. Uh, sometimes it prevents the fallopian tube from releasing an egg so sometimes you don't ovulate um you don't really build a lining and that which acts means locally. that you sometimes don't have a period sometimes you don't have a period um the injection is normally lasting between three and six months and that's sort of a con- concoction of hormones and then you also have the implant um which is a small it's about gosh it's probably about three to five centimeters and they can just insert it in your arm and then it emits progesterone um, around your body and that also prevents ovulation um, and makes the mucus very thick so yes those are those things sorry i got very carried away explaining those um just quickly a shout out to hannah witten who is a youtuber um and a sort of i guess tries to talk about sex very openly and she wrote a book called doing it and she goes through every single type of contraception and the pros and cons and lays them out in a very user-friendly way and i loved reading that book is that how you know so much about it yes and i also went through years of just agony in deciding what to do Mm. which we'll touch on later it's very boring and all of my friends i really apologize anyone who knows me (laughs) because you've been hearing this for years and years And actually, in the process of preparing for this episode, I've only read one article because I don't want to go onto the forums and read all the stories that I read previously to actually deciding to get the coil. Yeah. Which I'm sure we've all done if we've decided to do it. But in this article, very interestingly, it said that the most effective marketing for contraception is peer-to-peer, in that a friend will tell a friend and then the friend will tell a friend. And this is exactly how we've both ended up Right, so my first question to you is why did you decide to get the coil um, and were you sceptical? And I guess that is a great segue onto the peer-to-peer yeah. marketing because that's so, how you first found out about it, right? My friend Kate got the coil. Mm-hmm. Kate convinced Mary to get the coil, who I went to school with, one of my best friends. Mary convinced, not convinced, but she, both of them had really good experiences and then I mm-hmm. thought, this is a good solution. Let's go for it. It will be fine. It's not going to end up in my stomach despite the stories on mum's net. Oh, God. <laughs> awful. Uh, and then 
I had a really positive experience and then you also went for it. Yes, and simultaneously to Charlotte having it, another one of my best friends also had the coil and they both had really great experiences and I was so skeptical for years. I spent two years. Because it's kind of a weird thought. It was, and I got, actually, it brought me to, t I don't know if I've told you this, maybe I have. One evening I was talking about it with my friends Molly and it actually brought me to tears in that I just thought, why is it down to me to have to either insert something into me or take something sort of hormonal mm. in order for I can be in a lo in a long-term relationship and not get pregnant. So they unfair. Did, they did talk about a male pill a few years ago. I don't think it really took off. <laughs> no. Because no man will be like, yes, let's do that. It's like, no. The onus is... Sorry, that's me being preachy. Anyway, I feel like the onus <laughs> is, always, is always on the female, which is why I kind of felt so much pressure mm. um, to make a decision. But the other reason that I decided to get the copper coil is because um, there are no hormones and I was not on the pill previously to that and I've never had experience of that and it's partly the uncertainty if I don't know how my body would react and I just like not having other hormones in my body although that works very well for lots of people and it has mm. completely changed the way that women can live our lives because we have choice now. Right, so brief history of uh, the contraceptive pill. Um, it's definitely been one of the most significant medical advances of the 20th century. And it was sort of first, I think it was first invented, I remember reading this in the sort of mid to late 50s, um, as an intervention with people who had severe menstrual disorders. So people who had really heavy periods, probably people who had like fibroids and endometriosis, but they were sort of the early days, we didn't really understand how, how those diseases worked. And these pills seemed to be a way of um, lessening the symptoms. So... Obviously, this cottoned on very quickly, and a lot of women thought, ah, this is a great way of to have sort of contraception. So it was first introduced to the UK in 1961 for married women, and that lasted until 1967 until it was then available for everyone. So for six years, it was only available to married women. And um, I remember interviewing my grandma about this when I was probably about 14, which I don't know why I was talking to her about the pill. Um, but it's perfectly reasonable to be talking about the pill. Yeah, I think I think I felt very aware of uh, contraception for a yet very young age because I knew it was yeah. going to be something I'd have to. Be and the other thing is that the with. pill is quite often prescribed um, for hormone imbalances, things with your skin. So it's mm. something that you ta start talking Heavy about periods. in school yeah. at a really young age. Yeah, but what was amazing was her reaction. She just she said, "You do not understand how much freedom that gave every woman of my generation. We just could not believe." that we had this sort of way of controlling when we'd have children. Mm. And to us, that seems so... We kind of take it for granted now. Yeah, we've but grown up with it. How weird would it be if you'd never had control of that? Mm. Um, and I guess with the pill, I guess a lot of downsides of the pill is because it's hormonal, we just don't really know what the long-term effects are. Specifically, we've had issues with um, thrombosis, uh, pulmonary embolisms. There have been a lot of um, evidence to, su to suggest that if you're genetically predisposed, and sometimes, you know, in breast cancer. Um, so, for example, one of my good friends' uh, mother had breast cancer, so therefore she's not allowed to go on the combined pill. She has to go on the progesterone only pill. So, certain and things heart like issues that. As well. Heart, exactly, heart issues. Um, but having said that, in 1995, there was a significant drop in numbers due to all these health concerns. And then, lo and behold, pregnancies increased abortions mm. increased because people weren't mm. you know having mm. sufficient contraception actually, that's why we wanted to highlight the coil is we think most gps that actually this is the solution sorry yeah. continue I, I was on a i was on a rant <laughs> <laughs> 
and actually it is um, gaining in popularity massively. So mm. um, according to this article from the BBC, it is 44% of the of women in 2017 use the pill. Mm-hmm. 39 is these, well, the injection, the coil, both types of coil mm-hmm. and the implant. Mm-hmm. But 39% is compared to 21% in t- 2007. So in 10 wow. years, it's almost doubled. And I think that the NHS seem to be more active in encouraging young oh, women massively. in particular to get the coil. Yes, when I went in for, um, I went in for like two consultations before I even considered having the pill. Seriously, I was the biggest skeptic out there. You, I've never have imagined. Is skeptic the now. right word, or you're just scared? Terrified, yeah, terrified. Um, and Cause also skeptic because did... I thought it would cause womb perforation. I thought oh, I'd be yeah. infertile forever. I literally was like, it's going to damage the lining of my womb and then I'm going to be told I'm in first when I'm If 30. someone's going to go, if, if someone's considering that getting the coil, would you mm. recommend that they do Google research or say, stay away? Um, stay away. Yeah, I'd say stay I've, away. I've only I'd known people who've had positive experiences. I've known one girl who didn't have a positive experience, but there was no long lasting damage by it or anything like that. And that's, you know, same with the pill. I mean, when I took the pill... And I know one of my friends um, also had the same experience. Every month, it was time of the month, I would just be crying for four days nonstop. And my boyfriend would be the enemy. I would literally want to kill him every month. I'd be in tears. I was like, I'm not like this. This is mm. not like me. And now Hormone you don't imbalance. Have that. No, God, no, not at all. Hormone imbalance was completely out of whack. But like, mm. for example, my friend Claire, been using it for years. It's perfect for her. Mm. She has no side effects. Yeah, and I've way. got loads of friends who, and the pill is perfect. And mm. if they're not on the pill then they are like that. Right. And they need the pill to balance that. Right. And I, no, I would recommend going to the GP. The GP really encouraged me. She was a young female herself. She's like, I have, she says, I have the marina coil, but... Uh, That's my, the hormonal coil. The, the one that have localised hormones. Um, but both my sisters have copper. We all love it. Mm. We highly recommend it. That's what we're recommending now. When I was... Um, first went to get the pill I literally went in in a flurry and I was like I don't know what to do oh my god and they literally just handed me the, the cheapest pill which is Regevdon it's like deal with it and I don't think they do that necessarily now that was a good five years ago now so mm. so I think there is definitely being other options being explored which is kind of why we wanted to talk about it yeah and the other thing to share is that uh, also stats in this one article that the pill is one in ten people who are on that will get pregnant because of that reason, if you've got to take it at the same time every single day, mm. it's got to be very consistent and it's down to you. Yeah, and you have antibiotics or you throw up or like you forget to take it, then it's not yeah. effective. Yeah. Um, one in 100 will get pregnant on the IUD, which is what we have. Mm-hmm. One in 500 will get pregnant with the IUS. Mm-hmm. So the stats are quite interesting. I didn't realise there was that much of a difference between those three different types of contraception. Mm. But there is. And it gives you unbelievable peace of mind. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, just except when you potentially worry that it's moved, which is completely irrational most of the time. I think we're all in fear, aren't we? A little bit. Yeah. But I would recommend getting it checked after a couple of months. Mm. Yeah, for sure. But it's great, and I highly recommend it. And if I can convince one person, Mm. they can convince another and another, and we can set up that chain reaction. Don't be alarmed if uh, the people inserting it distract you with various different conversations i had uh, a medical student lovely and a male no, doctor but actually, thank you for having the medical student because so many people don't allow medical this is a shout out to all medical students especially <laughs> male ones i was just like it doesn't really matter yeah no a lot of them have never seen it because obviously women don't want mm. male medical students like on 
like they don't necessarily need to yeah. be there so they don't want to watch. and it was hilarious like they pointed out at, at how dig- undignified it was it is undignified yeah, but it doesn't it last very long no. and uh, I had a male doctor and a medical student and uh, they were asking me what my plans were and one of them was to go to New Zealand and so they were giving me lots of New Zealand recommendations <laughs> before, during and after <laughs> I would also say please go with somebody if you can because, uh, and this can happen just because it, your body is slightly shocked. It's something that is uh, not, what's the right word? It's foreign, mm. I guess. Um, and you can faint. And this did yeah. happen to me. Um, and I'm absolutely fine. It was just, I think it became a mixture of adrenaline and you just don't know what's going to happen. You're yeah. nervous and you may not have. And I also but, have fainted quite a few times in my life. It tends to happen. Right. So uh, don't be worried about that, but do go with somebody you know, and also bring lots of chocolate because you will want to eat chocolate for shock. Yeah. Sometimes mm. that is what Professor Lupin recommends. Yeah. And I would highly recommend that myself. <laughs> the third figure that we're going to be talking about today is an image from the Sunday Times on the 19th of August, which was reporting some research by the Personality and Individual Differences Journal. And the title is that women can gauge a man's income from one look at his face. And we thought it would be interesting to explore facial perception and snap judgments in this section. Right, so not only income, but sort of everything else. And actually, I then got to reading lots of research online about all sorts of things that we um, make snap judgments of from someone's facial structure, um, proportion, proportion, skin tone, all of the above. And actually, um, it was Todorov's uh, paper that I first read, which I'll link below. And he said that we often immediately judge people on their faces, but that, I guess this is key, that actually our impressions are highly inaccurate because we have so many biases that we just have innately. Um, And that we, I think what the thing that I found most interesting is that we see one positive trait. So we see someone and they're like, oh, they have lovely eyes or they're really handsome. And then we assume that positive traits are going to follow Positive personality. Right. Yeah. Or, or that one positive trait will lead to many positive traits. Yeah. So therefore, because he is good looking, he is therefore trustworthy, competent, mm. intelligent. Trustworthy is a above. really interesting one because there are specific proportions that will make a face be perceived as more mm-hmm. trustworthy. Perceived being the ultimate word in that sentence right. because it isn't necessarily to say that they are more trustworthy. Although I guess the reaction of other people around them for so many years, if somebody always describes and perceives you as trustworthy, you may end up growing into that adjective. Mm. But I haven't heard research. It's just, it's a really interesting link because no matter how long, in many cases, somebody will see a face, their perception won't change. Mm. So there was some research... Is that because it happens initially? Yeah, it's literally it within the tenth, a tenth of a second. This right. is recent research by Pre- Princeton University. Tenth of a, of a second, we will decide if that person from their face is trustworthy and or attractive. And the actual link to whether they are are trustworthy or attractive to lots mm. of people is not necessarily there. But even if they're given more time, this perception of that face doesn't change. Right. And I also found, again, reading this, from this research, that we associate, for example, baby-faced appearances. So that's, that's eyes that are bigger, 
Um, chins that are smaller chins that are smaller and big foreheads yeah big foreheads and noses that are bigger and we associate that with physical weakness naivety submissiveness honesty kindness and warmth and there are more women that have baby faced appearances than mm-hmm. men so and those are all quite feminine traits so right. the other thing that um i'd like to encourage everybody to read if they're interested in this is a book called in your face by david perrett who uh was a researcher at i don't know if he still is actually at st andrews university and i was very lucky to go and meet him while i was doing my final essay at school And I did it on psychology and art and perception and attractiveness. And that's where the golden ratio came into it as well. So do you find that um, people who are perceived as more attractive have more of the golden ratio type structure to their face? Like that that face follows the structure. Yes, there's loads of research on that. And I think David Perrett's um, approach to that is really interesting because he says that, yes, you can see a correlation between somebody having more proportions which equal 1 to 1.618 which is the golden ratio which we discussed in a previous episode however there are so many so many proportions in your face Mm. that you can't jump to conclusions absolutely and also we're carrying so many like i said before biases so Mm. what what could look trustworthy and honest and kind to me Mm. would not be the same for you Mm, exactly exactly although having said that there are proportions that really influence across the board right which i think a lot of politicians use to either their advantage or will try and change how they look absolutely absolutely and another book that's brilliant which i've spoken about before is blink by malcolm gladwell Mm. and this is about how we make snap decisions and Mm. one thing that he covers is politicians and their faces and their proportions and how successful their campaigns are because if they are perceived as being trustworthy and good leaders quite often uh, more masculine so stronger jaw lines so are there any politicians in particular that sort of stuck stuck out to you? it's so long ago that i read it i can't remember who it was but i just remember reading it mm. and looking around to everybody around me who was there while i was reading it and, and reading and it out to, to everybody and being like look at this yeah i this remember john so... mccain um I remember he, people often think that he's quite trustworthy, like he looks very trustworthy. Um, I think he might have been an example, actually, but yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, and mm. he's, he does look very lovely. I really like John McCain. But yeah, the thing with David Perrett's book on the cuteness and femininity aspect of it mm. is that the more feminine, you can manipulate, you can digitally manipulate people's faces mm. and then ask participants to rate how attractive or trustworthy they are and if a woman's face is made more feminine in that she has larger eyes smaller chin smaller nose and less prominent eyebrows i think it is um and like eyebrow bones Mm. she will be perceived as more attractive and the other thing that he talks about is that this cuteness proportion which sort of links to femininity i think is that even if you have photos of tigers or seals or puppies so or human sort of babies, same, it's all the same across the, the animal kingdom. Yeah, all is of the proportions because, are similar. Well, I think that, well, obviously, because we need to have cute young, otherwise we're never going to look after them, are Exactly. We? Um, and it's a trigger attractive. in your brain. Absolutely. Um, well, I was also reading another paper about how um, facial perception is, honest, is one of the most important things in terms of evolution, especially because we are... Um, we, they, they phrased it as if we had a, a complex social environment, whereas other animals may not have such a complex social environment, which means that we can perceive what people are thinking and feeling by their face and how it changes. Mm. And that is actually how, you know, 
to become more successful and for us to be uh, sort of evolved as a species successfully, we're going to have to pick up on those traits because we're human and not seals. So therefore, we're going to have to pick up on all those cues in order to build relationships. That's really interesting. I know. I'm going to link it down below. But how do we know that animals don't always also do that? Um, because they've studied primates versus non-primates. Okay. And um, Interesting. The, the, the whole work, the kind of paper that I read explain, explains mm. that. There's More. also really interesting research, again, that David Perrett includes in this book about attractiveness and health in that symmetry is seen as an <clears throat> indicator of health because... From what I remember, it was quite a long time that I read it. Read it. If you are a hundred percent healthy person with totally perfect genes, you will be completely symmetrical. But the uh, mutations, I guess, that naturally happen as we grow in the womb cause differences between each side of our body. Mm. But if you're very, very symmetrical, it becomes your you're seen as more beautiful. Mm. And then you're more likely to reproduce, so you've got healthier mm. offspring. I think that's the link. So, when was an example of that that for you in real life? Do you remember seeing someone? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. Oh, go, okay, go. I remember meeting somebody in a bar at the end of my road, and I just thought, God, this is a very symmetrical guy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. How about you? Have you ever had a a snap judgment of somebody where you have immediately thought they are very attractive, but not... Yes, yes. I saw this girl once, and I, um, she had very big eyes, she had a small chin, she looked very, like, sweet and non-offensive and very kind, uh, seemed very lovely. Did you speak to her? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, this was someone at, uh, university. Shall remain anonymous. Um, and then all of a sudden... All of the swear words that have ever happened just come out of her mouth every four lines and she is incredibly nasty and did not very was not at all what I had snap judged her to be. I snap judged her and I just thought, ooh, very pretty, very harmless, very kind, and absolutely not. Wow. Mm. And what about the other way around? Have you ever had anyone who's made a bad impression on you from the way that they come across or the way that they look immediately and then you've realised it's totally wrong? Yes, um, and not to be really cliche about it, but I've, um, a friend of mine is this very lovely, gentle giant, but he was so big and so kind of overpowering that I just thought, oh my God, he's absolutely terrifying. But it's ah, very interesting. Lovely. My housemate was one of those I think all of us agreed that he didn't make the best first impression but we all totally disagree with our mm. first impression mm. and love him to bits mm. now so that's all fine I also think as well from someone's face you can see you know from their skin and and their eyes and all yeah. that stuff about health and you do make a snap decision but actually whilst face perception is very useful to us as a species it can also be detrimental like this um it's hard to shake the first impression we can, sometimes we can really get it wrong Mm. of things that we're carrying mm. thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the figure podcast please leave us a review and a rating as that would really 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 help us out and also kind of help other people find the podcast you can find us on twitter and instagram at figure podcast and you can email us at the at gmail.com send us your favorite michael mcintyre jokes send us any questions you've got about the coil and also about face perception yes definitely um yes any questions about the coil we are more than happy to answer and also please ask us or uh give us suggestions for 
future figures. Until next week. Bye-bye.